last four weeks, we've been on our series, Emotional God. And we are transitioning out of that series today into a new series called Praying the Psalms. But specifically, we're still going to be talking about emotions, but there's so much more that I want to cover about emotions, like the byproducts of emotions, um, depression, anxiety, temptation, etc., that will fall more under the umbrella of praying the Psalms. Um, when it comes to the emotions we've discussed these last four weeks, love, anger, fear, um, suicide, and other things that happen if we don't handle our emotions well, that happen to us when we lose control of our emotions, as we've discussed these things, I've seen a common problem, and it's this. We're all kind of stupid when it comes to our emotions. Um, I think of it as what we've already established in this series. Your emotions are like an early warning sim, uh, system, right? They're alerting you to something. And I, I think about like this bell that we have in, in the bathroom upstairs. This is the ring for toilet paper bell. And if I heard Brooke ringing this bell, I need to do something. I can't just be like, that's a pretty sound. Because I would be in like deadly trouble if that was my response. But if I'm just fascinated by the sound and I don't pay attention to what the sound is alerting me to, we got problems. Everybody got problems because when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. You guys, um, I think of love, right? And I think of love. And if love, the feelings, the emotions of love are an early warning system, what are they telling us? They're telling us to like pay attention. There's somebody here. There's like maybe... Love is a doorbell, and there's a visitor at the door, and you need to stand up and pay attention and be like, uh, I might have something to give to this person. God might want to give me something from them. But if the doorbell rings, and you're just like, where's that sound coming from? What is that? And you just get fixated on this, and don't go actually open the door, you might miss a really amazing opportunity, a friend for life, a future spouse. Who knows? Um, I think of fear, and I think of fear as like a, a burglar alarm. I mean, when the burglar alarm goes off and it wakes you up in the middle of the night, if you're just like freaking out because of the burglar alarm and you go find the panel and just start smashing it while the burglar's like got your, you know, iPod and whatnot, like the burglar alarm is letting you know, fear is letting you know, danger. And you can't just get so fixated on the sensation of fear that you don't stop and say, okay, what is this emotion trying to tell me. I think of anger, like a fire alarm, right? There's a fire. You need to get out of the house. But if you just get so swept up in the feelings of anger that it, the alarm starts going off and you just start breaking your furniture, which we do, you know you do, then you will get burned up. You'll get hurt. Your family could get hurt. What was my last example? I think of grief. I think of grief and I when I, the alert system that comes to mind when I think of grief is that little bing when you're in an airplane, when it goes bing and says you are now free to move about the cabin. Grief is healthy. Grief is good. We need to sit and reflect in times of grief, but we can't stay there. We can't live there. We can't have something bad happen to us and just camp out in the feeling of bad for the rest of our lives. When the grief bell goes off, that's God letting you know, okay, it's time to get up and it's time to keep moving. You've learned something, you've experienced something, but you can't just stay there for the rest of your life. You guys, 
All of our emotions are trying to tell us something. But if we let our emotions rule us, if we just respond with our emotions and not pause and step back and say, what is this trying to tell me? Inevitably, we hurt ourselves. We hurt the people around us. And we will develop some false beliefs. I will never get over him. I will always hate that person. Those are beliefs. Those are forever statements. They now define you. And you need to know that your emotions, while you might feel some anger or hate or grief or love toward that person, like you need to contemplate and consider what, what's the real thing going on here and not get swept up in your emotions. Because when your emotions overtake you and you act on them, they can foster false beliefs about who you are, how God sees you, who God is even. Because what we believe is the most important thing about us. You got pen and paper under your seats. I'm a big note taker, and I want to start making that available to you guys on a regular basis. But if you hear some things in today's sermon, I encourage you to write them down and reflect on them later. But that's a noteworthy statement right there. What we believe is the most important thing about us. Because what we believe, well, ultimately, is supposed to influence how we feel. Here's how God designed every single one of you in this room. So God designed you to encounter truth. You encounter truth in nature. You encounter truth in relationship. But the ultimate place to encounter pure, raw, unfiltered truth is the Bible. So God made you to encounter him, and he's truth. He made you to encounter the Bible, which is truth. And that truth should, once you encounter it, you should believe it. You should believe what God has to say about himself. You should believe by faith everything in this book. You encounter truth. You believe it. And then you put that belief into action, and by acting on the truth you encountered that you now believe, that will lead to how you feel. That's how God wired you. That's how you're supposed to walk through this life. Encounter truth. Believe it. Act on it. And it changes everything. But we do it completely backwards. We do it the opposite way. And so much harm and trouble comes when we do it backwards. Here's the world's way of doing it. You have a feeling and your feelings change just like that. I, I could put up some just um, gripping photos right now and cause all of you to feel something. I could show a starving child. I could show somebody, show a dog that's been beaten. I can show a burn victim, and you would feel something. But then I just show you another picture, and you'd feel something else. Your feelings change, but God in his word never changes. But we have a feeling, and then we act on it, like you have a feeling of lust, and so you act on it. You have a feeling of anger. You act on it. You have a feeling of grief. And so you just act on it. You guys, once you've acted on it, you believe this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a pervert. Um, I'm a rage machine. I, I, I was made to suck my thumb and sit in the corner and never come out of this room. That's how we feel because we obeyed the feeling. We acted on it. We believe it. And that feeling will become our truth. I'm a loser. I'm invisible. I, I, hate, I hate you. That's backwards. You can't let something that changes on a whim dictate your truth. You should let your truth, God's truth, dictate how you feel. So I've seen a common problem as we've been in these, this emotion series the last four weeks um, that when we fail to understand our emotions, what they're trying to tell us, when we fail to control our emotions, bad things happen. But I've also seen a common, simple solution to all of that. And it's this. We need to recognize 
in the heat of the moment, whether your moment is hot or freezing cold, however you feel, you need to stop and hit time out in that moment and recognize, I have an enemy. You need to be aware that you have a spiritual enemy, and he knows that by poking you and stabbing you in your grief, it cripples you. He knows at just the right time how to touch that hot button that makes your anger go to fury to make you act stupid. He knows how to put something in front of your eyes when you're struggling with lust that just puts you over the edge and you just act on it. You need to recognize that you're not just some gross freak. You have an enemy that's making you feel that. He's accentuating your feelings and he's in that room with you when you are overcome with emotions. He is in that setting with you. So just recognize that. Okay, is this really how I feel? Or is somebody like pressing me, right? Is somebody poking me? Because he is. It's what he does all day, every day. Step number two, the common solution to this common problem of not being able to control our emotions. We need to use God's word to examine our hearts. This book says of itself that it cuts between soul and spirit. It cuts between emotional reality and God's reality. But you need to use it. you got to pick it up. It's not going to do it from here. Hey, I have something. That's kind of stupid. But you know what I mean. You need to pick this book up and you need to use it to examine how you feel and be like, God, is this true? Is this real? Is this, do I need to act on this? Should I not? Lastly, once you've encountered that truth and filtered your emotions through it, you need to remember it. You need to remember how God sees you because you will all, and I certainly do, have feelings that feel like, oh my God, this is so real. But I need to remember, okay, I'm not a coward. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not a loser. I'm a prince in the kingdom of God. You need to read God's words about you. You need to remember them. You need to filter your feelings through them. I'll pause right now, and I just invite you, between you and the Lord, just remember, just hearken back to a loss of control of one of your emotions. Remember a moment, preferably recently, but when's the last time you lost your temper, um, failed in something, just think back to a moment when you lost your cool. Now, I'm gonna rifle off a couple of scriptures here, and if, if you had been able, if I had been able to recall these truths when I lost my temper, um, freaked out, would they have not helped me if I could just hit time out for two seconds and say, I need to remind myself of this truth. Listen to these words, these true words in light of our seemingly true emotions. So you're freaking out, you're angry, you're scared, whatever, And here's what the Bible says, do not sin by letting anger or fear or grief control you. Do not sin by letting your emotion control you. Well, that's that's a good thing to remember when I'm feeling like acting in a stupid way. Next one, James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. So often when our emotions get the best of us, we feel like there's this vast gap between us and God, and here the Bible is saying, as clear as day, if you will just come close to God, he will come close to you. Bless you. And we can come close to him through worship. We can come close to him by opening this book. We can come close to him by calling a brother or sister in Christ and saying, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? Come close to God, and he will come close to you. That's a good one to remember. What about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your Mind. If your thoughts are going bananas and you can't control them, you need to remember that you're supposed to love the Lord with your mind. Which means if you're believing a false belief, if you're being assaulted by icky thoughts, 
pick up this book and, and just directly inject some hard truth into that moment, some graceful, powerful truth. What about God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-correction. If you are feeling afraid, you need to understand that is not from the Lord. He didn't give you a spirit of fear or timidity. He gave you a spirit of power, of love, and self-control, self-correction. God is saying right here, in the moment when you're losing it, you have the power to self-correct. And it can simply be just calling a timeout on yourself. The next time you're losing it, just make a mental note, make a spiritual note to say, all right, time out. I'm going to just stop and pause and ask some questions. What about, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Reading this book, you don't even have to agree with it all, but by faith, just acknowledging, okay, these are God's words. I'm just going to read it and give it a shot. By reading this book, God guarantees with a little faith, mustard seed style faith, you will change the way that you think. But if you don't read this book, your emotions are going to change the way that you think. And that's going to end nowhere good for you. All right. God wants us to learn. God wants to teach us how to pray. That's the impetus for me changing our series from emotional God to praying the Psalms. This is the season that he wants to teach the student ministry of Wood's Edge on a whole new level how to pray. And the Psalms do that. Scripture teaches us how to pray. Who's the author of most of the Psalms? Anybody? David. So David was just a kid when he was called into service by the Lord. And Brooke doesn't like it when I refer to you guys as kids, but I think of myself as a kid, so don't be insulted like that. But we are kids. We are God's kids specifically, and he was just a kid, not unlike all of you, when he was called into God's service. He was a kid that kept to himself. Who likes alone time? Who likes to just step back and get away from everything? David knows how you feel. He was kind of a weirdo, artsy, creative type. Any of those, any of those in here? I, I'm like the biggest one right here. So David relates to us. He was an athlete. Any athletes in here? David knows how you feel. He was a poet. He was a writer. He was a student. Any of those? David knows how you feel. You can relate to David. He was a fringe kid. It's kind of felt like nobody understood him. Come on. Anybody in here feel like they're not understood? David knows how you feel, you weird little freaks. He was just a teenager when he began serving the Lord, and he had powerful emotions. I mean, he was like 13, 14, when he went and fought Goliath. You guys fight Goliaths on a daily basis. I am ashamed of the pressure that our school system and many of our folks put upon you to do and do and do and always get an A and nothing, will, nothing else will suffice. You have to be on varsity or you're nothing. I hate that for you. There's a lot of pressure on your shoulders. And David knew pressure. I hate that a lot of you feel ignored in your family. David knows how you felt. Prophet goes to David's dad. Hey, one of your kids is going to be the next king. Show me all your kids. He brings out all his kids except for David. Thanks, dad. David knows how you feel if you feel invisible inside your own home. And he had to fight a giant at 13, and you guys are fighting giants. You've got to make monster decisions. Where are you going to go to school? Who are you going to date? What are you going to wear today? It could really impact your whole life. So how did David control his emotions so well? Because David was not a man ruled by his emotions. He submitted to God 
at an early age, your age, he submitted to God. He bent the knee. He said, God, not my way, but your way. He spent time with God. He read God's word on a daily basis. He knew how to call a timeout on himself when it counted and just super simple say, God, what do you think? Right now, you know how I feel, you know what I'm dealing with, but what do you think? I want to go do this. I feel like I need to do that. What do you think? He knew how to do that, and it made all the difference. I'm going to read you guys a story. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is before David was king. Saul is after him. Enemy armies are after him. And he's out in the wilderness with this like motley crew of 600 brutal mercenary warriors. And they're coming back from doing some hardcore business. And they're stationed in this town called Ziklag. And when they show up, they're in for a shock. When David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites, some bad, nasty dudes that hated David, had made a raid into Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. And they had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Now, when David... I mean, I'll stop right there. How would you feel if you went home today and your house was burned to the ground and every person that means anything to you has been kidnapped and you don't know where they're at and you don't know what to do and you don't have the forces to just go after? How would that make you feel? When David and his men saw the ruins and they realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Have you ever cried so hard that you can't cry anymore? David knows how you feel. David's wives were among those captured. And David was now in great danger. I mean, David's family is gone. City, burn to the ground. He's got enough on his plate. But now it says David was now in great danger because all his men were bitter about losing their sons and their daughters, and they began to talk of killing David. They were so overcome by emotion, they're like, we're going to take matters in their own hands. We're going to grab some rocks and kill David. We're going to crush him. We're going to stone him. We're going to obliterate him. We're going to stomp on him until there's nothing left. Have you ever felt like doing that to somebody? I have. That's what David's men's response was. And these are men that knew the Lord, And they knew that David had been proclaimed, you're going to be the next king, and they still wanted to kill him. Their emotions were about to lead them into doing something horrifically stupid. So, that's the situation David is in. Imagine you're in the same situation. Everything you own is gone. Everybody close to you is gone. And you got 600 toughs ready to kill you. They blame you. It's not your fault, but you can't say, it's not my fault. So how did David respond? It says this, David found strength in the Lord. David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? These guys are around David. They're picking up rocks. This is the one that's going to go into his cranium. They are ready to kill him. And he says, time out. Let's ask God what he says. And everybody's like, okay, We got time for, you can take the 10 seconds it's going to take to do that. David found strength in the Lord. I'm going to remember truth. I'm going to remember my God. And he asked the Lord, should I chase after this band? And if I do, will I catch them? And the Lord responded like that. 
and said, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his men went and found the raiders. David said, time out. Let's pray for 10 seconds. God, do you want us to do this? God responds to David, yes, go and do it, and you'll get everything back. These men that were about to kill him are now following him, supporting him. They have redirected their anger where it needs to be. They have taken a moment and controlled their emotions because of the truth of God's word. Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his men went, found the raiders, rushed in among them, and they slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until the next night. They were so angry. They were so bitter. And God said, yeah, over there. And they went and they killed this army for two days. David got back everything that was taken and he rescued his wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, not anything else that had been taken was not found. How did David go from scared, threatened victim to victorious? How did he do it? Simple. He looked to the God of truth. He believed the truth that God gave him. He acted on the truth, and that truth changed everything for him, like that, like that. Now, fast forward. We'll tell another story. David is now king. He is ruling the city. He has been established as king. 1 Samuel chapter 5, when the Philistines, another army that just hated David, hated God, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed the king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming. So he went into the stronghold. He went into his castle. He went behind his walls. And the Philistines arrived, and they just spread out across the valley. I imagine there would be a scene that looks something like this. David's in the castle. He's like, yes, I'm king. God is for me. And then all of a sudden, he's like, what is this craziness? We got fireballs coming in, catapults. We got armies way beyond our number. I don't know what to do. I'm supposed to protect the city. What am, I, what am I supposed to do? Well, he's a soldier. You'd think he'd just know what to do. And he did. But he knew better. I better ask God first, what am I supposed to do? It'll only take me 10 seconds. So David asked the Lord should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And again, like that, the Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David, armed with the truth, believing God just said, yes, go do it and I'm with you, went out and they defeated the Philistines. And David said, the Lord did it. He burst through my armies like a raging flood. David had no right to win. He was vastly outnumbered. But he just said, God, what do you think? And God said, I think you need to go. And that's all David needed to hear. He's like, let's go. Probably surprised the heck out of the Philistines that are ready for like a months-long siege when those gates opened and these crazy guys run out and just start killing them, killing them all. How did David go in that situation from hiding out, scared out of his mind, to being like a hero. It's like one of his first acts as king is, hey, even if an army comes against us that has more than we can, we got God on our side, so no sweat. Well, he did the same thing he did before. He looked to the God of truth. He believed the truth. He acted on the truth. The truth changed everything. And I love that he made sure that people knew it wasn't me. It was God. Now, after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley. 
What does he do now? This is maybe a year later or something, I don't know. But there's the army, again, back, spread out, again, same as before. Well, wouldn't you think that David would be like, well, I did it last time and God said yes, so I'll just go do it again. That would have been a critical mistake. Just because God said yes to the same situation once, he might want to tell you something new. So David, knowing, okay, God blessed me last time, he still took time to say, God, what do you think this time? Again, David asked the Lord what to do. And the Lord said, do not attack them straight on. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the trees, be on the alert. Be on the alert. That will be the signal that I am moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. And so David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. He wiped them out so efficiently this time that like from this end of town to that other town, they're all dead. And he got like, God used the trees like a supernatural event. And that wouldn't have happened. And David probably would have lost because the Philistines are like, hey, last time he came out in the middle, so let's be ready for that. He would have lost, he would have died, and he would have missed this epic supernatural moment had he not just caused time out and said, God, what do you think? A truth about David's reign, about his life, that's visible throughout the entire Bible, anywhere David's mentioned, is that whenever David asked God, what should I do? He was successful. Every single decision that David had where he stopped long enough to simply ask, God, what do you say? What do you think? What should I do? He was successful. And you can look at other places in the Bible where he just did what he wanted, and it did not go well for him. He's still the king. He's still God's favored. And it did not go well for him because he didn't stop and say, God, what do you think? David would even have feelings and be like, God, this is how I feel. What do you say about how I should feel? And when he did that, he was able to understand his feelings. He was able to channel them properly. He was able to act well. But when he didn't and he let his feelings dictate what he'd do, I mean, he murdered people, like evil murder, not defending a city murder. He, he stole a dude's wife. His emotions, just like yours, capable of some horrible things. When he asked God what to do, success. When he didn't, messy failure. Do you guys know what God's nickname for David was in the Bible? Anybody? No, not that. God removed King Saul, replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, he is a man after my own heart. That is an awesome nickname. I want to be known like that. A man, a woman after my own heart. You can't get much higher praise than that. God removed King Saul, replaced him with King David, a man about whom God said, he is a man after my own heart because he will do everything I want him to do. God was called, uh, David was called the man after God's own heart because David read God's word, truth. Trusted God's word, belief. Obeyed God's word, action. And he let God's word change his life, feeling. And what did God give to David through that simple, daily, lifelong process? He gave him wisdom, power, success, victory, protection, authority, love, and basically anything he wanted. And the same is true for everybody in this room. 
So I'm going to tell you guys a story from my life this week, because God knew I was going to be talking about this before even I did, and he set up a story for me to share that so illustrates these points. I have to take a drink before I continue, because it's a long story, but it's good. All right. We got a friend, lives about a mile from us, and uh, kind of friend, not, not real close, but we know them, and they've got a dog, and it's like a year-old Shih Tzu, it's super cute, and they don't really, like, they haven't really connected with the dog, they're not enjoying the dog, um, they don't feel like their house is just the right house for the dog, it's just not really working out, and part of that's just, it's a puppy. So another friend of mine has been talking to this neighbor, and she's like, I just, I gotta get rid of this dog. I wish somebody would just come and take the dog and get rid of it. And so my other friend just literally went to her house, went in the backyard without knocking on the door, and took the dog, right? Because that's how she rolls. She brings the dog to our house while we're having family time in the backyard on Tuesday. So it's Tuesday afternoon, and my friend shows up with this dog that needs a home, and my kids are in the backyard when she shows up and says, would you like this dog? What do you think my kids said? Yeah, they said yes. And she explains the situation. And my kids want the dog. And Brooke wants the dog. And they start listing reasons why this is a great idea. And they were right. They had great ideas. They had great reasons. We'll give the dog a home it deserves, like people that love it, that appreciate it. That alone is a great reason to take a dog into your house. Um, This dog will give our other dog, Kaiser, a friend. Because we don't always engage Kaiser. And he's just like, I'll just sit here and hate my life because you don't play with me. (laughs) Right? So Kaiser would have a friend. And Kaiser was there too. And he's just like, this is awesome. Oh, my God. Um, Charlotte is responsible for Kaiser, our dog. Wyatt could be responsible for this dog. It would teach my son how to be responsible, to clean up and take care and provide. Like, it's a great life lesson through a puppy. So we had great reasons. And they start listing them off. And I can feel like we're about to just adopt this dog. And I just say, wait, let's let's ask God what he thinks first. And that was like when I got the groans and the you're you're an evil man. Look for my kids. Because look at this dog. How could you say no? How could you say no to this dog? But here I was saying, yeah, no. Let's, Let's just hit time out. Let's just pray about it. But the next thing I know, as I say that, as the the man of the house that leads the family, my kids are bathing the dog, they're making a bed for the dog, they brought the dog into my house, they have renamed the dog. It's Toby, now it's Kobe, right? Because it rhymes with Kaiser. So I'm like, I got too much pressure. And I'm like, all right, we'll keep the dog. And I'm a hero, and now we have another dog. So Kaiser and the dog play well together. My family is elated. My kids are like, Elated, Brooke is like crying for joy. She's like, you've done the right thing. (laughs) But then, but then, the next five hours, that dog pees no less than like five times in my house. And it's, I don't know, it's like super yellow and stainy. Like it's everywhere. And I'm just like, oh my God. So we got to potty train the dog. Good to know. That dog goes and attacks this purple, plush, beautiful blanket that I bought for Brooke for Christmas. Just destroys the corners of it. I'm like, okay, well, the dog's got a chewing problem. And he's got the puppy teeth, you know, that are like basically wolverine claws in a dog mouth. Um, I got a screen door that I've wanted since we moved into this house. I got it just this summer so that in the spring, which we're just now entering, I can close it but leave the door open. 
That dog with its like razor paws like just destroys my screen door, which was very hard to find. It doesn't, now I'm just complaining. Um, darkness falls, and it's time to go to bed. And after all this, I'm like, I can't just leave the dog out. So we put it into a crate, and we put it next to the bed. But it's just like... So we take the crate and we put it in the living room, but it's still... So we put it like downstairs, as far away as we can get, and it's just like... So no sleep. It's late at night. Brooke's phone rings. It's the original owner. Look, I know you're trying to help us out, but that dog actually belongs to my six-year-old daughter. We didn't talk to her about this. We need the dog back. And that's great for me. Because I'm like, good, because it's a demon. <laughs> but it's not great for my family, because my wife is crestfallen, and my kids lose it. Did we not do a good enough job taking care of the dog? Did we make the dog? Not like the dog called and said, get me out of here. So my kids have already bonded with this dog, and we got to tell them we have to send it back. And they're like, why? Father, why? So they can't collect the dog that night because it's late. And we decide we'll drop the dog off at lunchtime the next day when they're home. So it's about lunchtime. I'm at work. <laughs> Dodged a bullet there. Brooke goes into the backyard to get the dog, and the dog is gone. The dog tunneled under the fence. It is gone. Kaiser's just like, I don't, it went that way. <laughs> Hole big enough for my dog to get out, but I got a good dog. So this dog is gone, and my wife calls me, and she's freaking out. She's like, I don't know what to do. It's gone. I just gotta, I'm like, are you looking for it? And she's like, I've already been to like five houses. She's walking up to neighbors we've never met. Knock, knock, knock. Have you seen like, I, it's small. It's fuzzy. I don't, it looks like a weird like gremlin before it eats after midnight. Like, I don't know where it is. Have you seen the dog? And they're like, no, weirdo, go away. Because she had these two children behind her howling. The dog's gone. It hates us. And I can hear when Brooke calls me, my kids moaning like lamentations, like just kill us because this is the worst day of our life. Brooke goes door to door for four hours looking for that dog and no luck. She goes home discouraged, sunburned, like pink, dogless, and that dog is gone. And we lost it on our watch. Got to let these owners know, hey, it's gone. And then you hear her kid in the background, what? It's gone. And I'm like, do they think we stole it? And we're like hiding it? Like, I don't know. It was emotional. So I try to go home a little early that day. I go home around 3.30, 4 o'clock. And I'm, that's not really early for me. And I'm driving home. And it finally dawns on me to pray. My first time in this whole thing where I invite God into the situation. And all I, a simple prayer, I just say, God, would you please let that dog be found? Like I was, I was praying for somebody else because I'm like, clearly we're not gonna, like it's already in Oklahoma, in, in my opinion. But I say, will you please let that dog be found? And immediately I feel, I can't explain it, I'm supposed to go and look in the neighborhood behind our neighborhood. But there's a problem there because it's a gated community and I can't get in there. But as I'm praying that and I'm feeling that and I'm driving towards my house and there's the gate, the gate just, oh, it just opens. And I'm like, well, I'm just going in. <laughs> so I go in and I'm just kind of lightly looking. And this is a, a, a neighborhood with like super mega mansion houses. 
um, and, and lots of like open trees and Panther Creek runs through there and stuff. And so I'm just kind of looking like at people's like other gates in this neighborhood. And I'm like, I don't see a small like three pound dog anywhere. And then I just feel like look left. And so I look left, next picture, and like way out in the distance on this cliff of a riverbed that's in this neighborhood, a hundred yards away, because I counted, I see the dog. Can you see the dog? No, I can't see the dog either, but I saw the dog. It was like at the moment, and it wasn't this moment, this shaft of sunlight hits this dog on a sandy bank, and I'm like, the dog! <laughs> and I get out of my car, and I'm like, Toby, COVID, peeing dog, come here! And he's like, no, I'm just going to sit here. So it makes me walk all the way. Just another reason I don't like this dog anymore. And I have to truck out there through poison ivy and thorns, and I pick up the dog, and when I grab him, he's just like, please let it in. Oh, my God. He's freaking out. So I take him home, and I walk in the house, and there's my wife, like, in bed, just like, really not doing well. And I'm like, oh. And she's like, you're my hero. And I'm like, yes, I am. And I brush the sand off the dog, and we take it straight to the original owners. They're not home again. We just open the door. We throw it in there. We just close the door. <laughs> so the saga is over. What a day. And it occurs to me, what if I had just asked the Lord when I said I would what to do? It would have taken me five seconds to just be like, God, is this what you want? Are we supposed to take this? It's a big responsibility. We had great reasons to keep that dog. Righteous reasons. But I never said, God, is this what you want? Because ultimately, if I kept that dog, I'd be stealing it from that other little girl. Not on purpose, but that's how it would have felt. I never asked the Lord what I should do. And I told Brooke that. I was like, we never prayed about it. And I said we, even though it was totally me. We never prayed about it. And then she goes, I think God already answered the question before you even prayed. And I'm like, what? She goes, do you remember this morning, like yesterday morning? You know, we got the dog in the afternoon. Do you remember yesterday morning? When you called me and said, hey, hon, I just finished my quiet time. It was rich. I read in 2 Kings, but I didn't understand what the passage was saying. She goes, do you remember that? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, do you remember the passage? And I'm like, no. And she goes, read it again. So I whip out my Bible, and I read the passage again that God gave to me before I even knew to ask the question. And here's what God said to me Tuesday morning before the saga of Toby. One day, the king of Israel, that's me, said to his officials, do you realize that the town of Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've never done anything to recapture it from the king of Aram. So there's this town that belongs to the king. It's been taken away. He has every right to go and take it for himself back. So the king of Israel turns to Jehoshaphat. It's the king of Judah, and asks, will you join me in battle to recover what is mine? Now, this is the king of God's people saying, this is mine. I'm going to go take it. I have every right to it. But what was missing in his decision? He never asked God, what do you think? What do you think about this? Now, Jehoshaphat, who's a bit of a better king than Ahab, replied to the king of Israel, why, of course, let's go. Let's take what you're, let's, let's do it. You and I are one. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, but first, let's find out what the Lord has to say. 
before this mess even happened, God was reminding me, you need to ask what I think when you make decisions. You need to consult me before just adopting a dog from another family, which basically your friend stole from their backyard. Imagine how much trouble I would have saved myself because I guarantee if I had had the wherewithal to just hit time out and say, God, what do you think? That verse that I had read that morning, he would have reminded me of it. And I would have been like, oh yeah, we definitely, we definitely need to talk to God about this first. And he probably would have been like, think about the, the bigger picture. That's not your dog. You can't have that dog. And by the way, I don't want you to have to clean floor up all, pee off the floor all day. He would have saved me so much trouble, but I didn't ask the Lord. I thought about it, but I didn't do it. You guys, Dwight, you guys can head on up here. Um, I had a question. It was a big deal. Not a giant deal, not a life-changing deal, but a big deal. I knew I should ask the Lord what he thought, and I didn't. You are going to face decisions. You're probably right now in the midst of decisions that are a big deal. You're probably definitely in decisions that are small deals, but they might have big consequences that you don't even know about. You need to ask God what he thinks. You need to just call time out for two seconds and just say, God, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? Is this what you want for me? It's a game changer. It's a life changer. And if you're like, well, I don't know. You know, God doesn't speak to me. I don't hear. You guys, neither do I. I've heard his voice once in my life. And I've been a believer for really longer than most of you have been alive. Only one time have I heard his voice. But this book in Hebrew literally means crying out. This book is God's voice in your hands all day, every day. And you can open this and just read some truth. And that truth will translate. That truth will give you what it gave to David. Wisdom, power, protection, success, authority. Sometimes I just open this book and I have a super specific question. And the answer to my super specific question is highlighted. Like my soul just like, there it is. That's exactly what I need to know. But I would never understand that or know that if I didn't just take the time to search God's truth. To filter my feelings through faith in the word. So, we're going to close by praying some scripture, like we did last week. And we're going to be doing this for a few weeks to come. But today, I had already asked God for a scripture for every single one of you. So I took some scripture, and I have rewritten it to apply to us, to apply to now, to set the tone for the next several weeks of sermons. And I want you, again, to remember right now, just in, in Jesus' name and the attitude of prayer, What are you wrestling with? What emotions are you experiencing that are trying to make you, push you to doing something? I want you to just get that situation in mind. And I want you to let the truth that I'm about to declare to you from the Lord, I want you to filter your feelings through this truth. So in an attitude of prayer, Jesus, I know this is the scripture that you want us to close with. I know you want to speak to every one of us here, so speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're in us. Help us recognize what you're trying to say. And students, before I begin, if you hear like a one-liner that just explodes for you, I encourage you to write it down, remember it, reflect on it later. Here's God's word for you today. This is what your God is saying to you today. Only in returning to me and resting in me Will you be saved in quietness 
and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, God, we will only do what's easy. We will only do what feels good. We only trust our emotions. My child, if you listen to your feelings over your faith, you are welcoming chaos and fear directly into your heart. When we do that, when you do that, a single demon will scare a thousand of you. Five of them will make all of you flee and you will be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill, a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. Jesus, that is exactly how I feel when I obey my emotions. And I don't want that for myself, and I don't want that for anyone here. So keep ministering to our hearts, Jesus. Even now, says the Lord, despite your rebellion, despite your bad decisions, I am waiting for you to return to me. And the moment you do, I will show you nothing but love and compassion. For I am a faithful God, and I will be gracious to you if you ask for my help. I will respond to the sound of your cries. Child, let me teach you. I want you to learn to see me with your own eyes. I want you to grow to hear me with your own ears. Even now, right now, if you will listen, you would hear my voice saying, this is the way you should go.